Welcome to Talking All Things Cardiopalm. I am your host, Dr. Rachel Barisi, physical therapist and board-certified cardiopulmonary clinical specialist. This podcast is designed to discuss heart and lung conditions, treatment interventions, research, current trends, expert opinions, and patient experiences. The goal is to learn, inspire, and bring cardiopalm to the forefront of conversation. Thanks for joining me today, and let's get after it. Hello, hello, and welcome to episode 14 of Talking All Things Cardiopalm. I am your host, Dr. Rachel Barisi. So today we're going to be talking about breathing exercises. I think this is one of my favorite topics. It is one of my favorite things to teach, and it is one of my favorite interventions to perform with my patients. So my first question to you is, if you're treating, actively treating, did you do breathing exercises with your patients or clients today? And if the answer is no, then my question is, why not? I've been in the acute care setting pretty much for the majority of my 13 years at being a physical therapist. I've had some outpatient experience. I'm now moving into a virtual, mobile, outpatient-y type of world. But for the most part, my experience has been deep in the acute care setting, and it has evolved over time in different types of settings. When I first started in New York, I was in a primarily orthopedic hospital. Elective surgery, total knees, total hips, spine. My vision for breathing exercises was small. I did mostly incentive spirometers with my patients post-surgery because all of my patients were post-surgery, but I did. And at that time, I even knew, even though I wasn't really aware of all the benefits of breathing, I knew the importance of using incentive spirometer post-surgery. So basically, if you have any patient who is post-surgery, not just cardiothoracic, any patient post-total knee replacement, post-hip replacement, post-abdominal surgery, post-cardiothoracic, your patients will benefit from breathing exercises and airway clearance techniques. Because anytime you have general anesthesia in the picture, your body will make less surfactant. When you make less surfactant, you're at a higher risk for atelectasis, the fancy word that basically means that your alveoli collapse, which means you're at higher risk for VQ mismatch and poor gas exchange. So incentive spirometers purpose is to really encourage increasing tidal volume. If you look at the incentive spirometer, it has a chamber, it has a level that shows the milliliters that are being pulled in, and then there's a good, better, best box. Now, what I will say, and I've known this for years, so I'm going to give you some tips on this one. Patients typically do not perform the incentive spirometer correctly. I have seen everything. Typically, patients will blow into it. I see them suck really fast and kind of shoot it to the top. Um, have a hard time coordinating, placing their lips on the tube with inhale. Coordination is is sometimes difficult with patients who have never practiced breath control before. 
And this will kind of lead me into a different subject, but post-surgery, you're in pain, you're medicated, you're groggy. It is harder to learn a new skill post-surgery. So if you have the opportunity to teach these things before surgery, your patients likely will do better. But that's not the point of today's talk. I just really want to bring to light what type of exercises we can use. And I've said it before, but I'll be talking a lot about breathing exercises in upcoming um, podcasts because there's just so much benefit. Each diagnosis has its own go-to breathing exercise. And that's the part that I love to break down. That's the part I love to teach to students, to other clinicians, and to patients. So let's talk incentospirometer first, and I'll kind of dive in a little bit more in some different areas. P.S. I'm going without outline today, so if I hit full tangent mode and like get into the weeds about something, we're in we're in for this ride together. The reason why um, I'm going without an outline today is really because I came back from a hospital shift, and as per usual, I was just kind of sitting reflecting and. I don't think there was one patient that I saw today that we didn't do breathing exercises. And most of my patients were on the on, on the onc floor. So a lot of oncology. I actually had two COVID patients today. And I think maybe one heart failure mixed in. But for the most part, they were not specific to cardiac or pulmonary diagnoses minus the COVID patients. But each patient did better once they started activating breath control. And there's so many reasons why. Pain control, tapping into the parasympathetic nervous system, improving gas exchange, improving the ability to expand the chest, decreasing anxiety, improving overall peripheral effects. That takes a little bit longer, but the purpose is there. So let's talk incentospirometer. So we have this device that has a chamber with the milliliters for volume, and then on the other side is the good, better, best. When performing the incentospirometer, you should exhale first, not into the tube, and then as you're about to inhale, place your lips around the tube and inhale slow, steady, and deep. So it's not just a shoot up to the top, it should be a until you run out of space, like a reverse balloon. So I usually give the cue to my patients. I want you to suck in like you're sucking a thick milkshake because it should be slow and steady, not a fast pull in. The goal is to be expanding your lungs. The goal is to increase tidal volume. That is why you have the milliliters on the chamber. The good, better, best gives you that cue of how fast to be pulling in that air, how fast you're creating that negative pressure to pull air in. When you're doing this, you're holding, right? And that hold is kind of built in. And then rest. No one really tells you what to do with the exhale because the exhale is essentially quiet or resting with this. But this brings me into... My next exercise, which is super beneficial for atelectasis, and that's the inspiratory hold. It's one of my favorite breathing exercises. I've 
shouted it from the rooftops in the world of COVID. It is my go-to post-COVID. It is my go-to post-surgery. It is my go-to when patients have poor desaturation or poor gas exchange. Friggin' hold it. Because when you do, you're popping open those alveoli, or at least that's what the theory is. So when I take an inhale in and I hold it, I am pushing more air into my alveoli. And the ones that are blocked will pop open because we have these little tiny microscopic channels that attach between each alveoli, like little alleyways. So if that one area is closed, this alleyway is going to be open and push the air in from a different angle. I am all about the inspiratory hold. And throughout my career, I have really changed how I perform some of these exercises because I kind of do a lot of combo techniques based on the diagnosis. But it essentially, an inspiratory hold is a deep breath in, so as big of a tidal volume as you can create, with a hold, and then again, a relaxed exhale. I've changed that process a bit based on my person, but that's technically an inspiratory hold. Max inhale, hold, relaxed exhale. Biggest primary improvement is with atelectasis and even pulmonary edema. Love that exercise. So post-surgery, it's a go-to, period. Love me an inspiratory hold. When you have patients with cardiothoracic incisions, sternal incision, thoracotomy, clamshell, that doesn't feel very good. I'm not going in hard and fast and having people max inhale and holding because they're going to lose trust in that moment. It is so important to educate your patients, period. If I'm going to do something that could provoke pain, I'm going to at least warn them so that if it happens, they don't lose complete trust. I know that it hurts to breathe post-median sternotomy. I know that it hurts to breathe post-thoracotomy. I know it hurts to breathe with a clamshell. And when I start talking about breathing with these patients, you can see it in their eyes that they're fearful of having to do any of that. Fat patients say, I can't do that. I did it once and it hurts so bad I can't do it again. That happens a lot with coughing as well. It is so important for these patients to be breathing because they have these incisions. They are in pain. When people are in pain, they're going to hypoventilate. They're going to shallow breathe. And when we can't take a big breath in or normal size tidal volume, how is your body going to compensate? It's going to compensate by increasing respiratory rate. Why? Because your body is trying to maintain a minute ventilation to sustain life. If you're taking small breaths, then we have to go faster. And I will tell you for fact that your body is must, much less efficient doing things fast than they are doing things big. They're going to teeter out. They're going to tire. They're going to fatigue. And when you take these small rapid breaths, you're not getting good gas exchange. The theory is that we're really just moving air in the upper lobes and not deep in the lower lobes. 
And so that becomes problematic and we end up with atelectasis and VQ mismatch and all sorts of problems. And because we've had anesthesia, likely, these patients end up increasing their mucus production on top of having decreased surfactant. So we have atelectasis, we have mucus production, and we are setting the system up for failure, for something like pneumonia. We have to get air into those lungs and we have to move that mucus, period. So for these patients, I typically go with something like a stacked breath. We call it stacked breathing. And the reason why you do stacked breathing with your cardiothoracic patients is because you're essentially doing an inspiratory hold, but in a progressive, controlled sort of way. So you're going to stack your breaths to increase tidal volume and get there gradually. You put the patient in the driver's seat. Give them the control. Tell them, I know it hurts to breathe. I'm going to teach you a trick to help you have an effective breath, get there a little slowly, but you're going to get big benefit. You're in control. If it's too much, back off. This will hurt less. Give them the confidence. Show them first. First, we're going to take a small breath in, then a medium, and then a large. Hold it. Relax. Exhale slowly. Okay? So we're going to breathe in. Again. Again. Without letting go. And then exhale. They're in control. You show them how to do it first. They try. It's going to be small. I usually say small breath in, medium breath in, large breath in, hold it, exhale out. What they're actually going to be doing is small, small, small. That's fine. They've gradually increased their breath size. So we can use breathing to improve all sorts of things. Chest wall mobility, atelectasis, pulmonary edema, pain, anxiety. Let's start using breathing as a means to make a difference. If we can improve our gas exchange, we can decrease the amount of oxygen that we're using. If we can improve our amount of gas exchange, that's going to translate into peripheral changes where we can improve gas exchange at the tissues. If you don't have oxygen available at the central region at the start of the race, we're not going to have anything available for activity. So if we want our patients to be doing more, we have to be able to do something at rest. Let's give them something they can do throughout the day. Post-surgical patients, hypoventilation. I'm going to stick to this example for today. Another concept about breathing that I absolutely love is the fact that our lungs are attached to our chest wall. They're attached to our chest wall via the pleura. That's why I love anatomy and physiology, because it makes the what we're doing so much more impactful. Because the pleura attaches to the chest wall, when the chest wall expands, the lungs expand. Because our upper extremities are attached to our trunk and our chest wall, when our arms move, our trunk and chest wall move. So we can use paired breathing to 
improve lung expansion, to improve chest wall mobility. And if you have, we want to flip the switch, you got that ortho patient who can't get that extra few degrees on shoulder flexion. Try pairing your breath to the arm motion and see if you, if it, if it improves. It's just, it's just cool. And it's helpful because it gives the patient control. It gives them, it takes away the fear. That's what I want to say. It takes away the fear of moving. I can't tell you how many times I walk into a patient's room. They're in bed and they have not moved. Like arms are at the side stiff. Their legs are stiff. They're strapped in with the SCDs, maybe a hip abduction pillow. Someone stuck a cushion under their knees and I'm, they haven't moved in hours and they're fearful to move anything. Use breathing as a means to take away the fear. Use breathing with movement to help take away the fear, to help improve pain control, to tap into that parasympathetic system when you know their sympathetic system is on overdrive. Give them the tools to make it easier. Paired breathing is an amazing way to improve chest wall mobility with your post-surgical patients. Patient median ster- post-median sternotomy, post-thoracotomy, post-clamshell incision, post-abdominal incision. What's going to happen if we don't move, if we don't talk about posture, if we just let it sit and not move, we're going to start to have this pulled forward flex posture because it's path of least resistance, right? It hurts to expand. You have to help take away the fear and you take away the fear by helping them to move through it and show them that it's safe and adding breath control to that movement will make it easier. Median sternotomy, shoulder flexion, horizontal ABA deduction, shoulder shrugs, neck extension, neck flexion, trunk extension, trunk flexion. Be creative. Basically, you're trying to pair the breath with the movement. And the movement and the breath should be moving in the same direction. So if you're sitting and you're able to and not like driving, if you're driving and you can do this with one hand, only one hand, we can do shoulder flexion. And I want you to think about what happens when we raise our arm up. When we raise our arm up, what's happening with our chest wall? So when we raise our arm up into shoulder flexion, our chest wall is going to move up in the same direction. So let's pair it with our breath. We're going to inhale on the way up and exhale on the way down. Same is true for horizontal ABA deduction. I love this for my cardiothoracic patients. Open up the chest and teach them that that is a safe movement. Teach them to move with breath control so that it's less painful. Teach them to move early so they're not playing catch up years down the line when they have this stiff scar that has caused all sorts of issues. Do it early. Give them the control. Give them the, t- the tools to make a difference for their own life, their own health, their own posture. Pain can be debilitating. Pain can be fear-provoking. 
pain can prevent movement. When you start to incorporate breath, it starts to take away the fear. It allows you to do other things because then you can pair breath with lower extremity movement, functional movement. It becomes a process that they now understand and they start to anticipate that it'll be easier when they add breath control to it. So breathing exercises for my post-surgical patients is an absolute must. Inspiratory hold, stacked breathing, paired breathing, airway clearance techniques. We have to get these patients to do the little things to make big difference later. Your patients are short of breath. We have to teach them dyspnea control. Can we teach them to pace their breath? Can we teach them to rescue breathe? Do they know how to activate their diaphragm? There are so many options. We just have to utilize some. So the next time you're treating and you have a patient, think about what breathing exercise could I incorporate to make this easier or to just make a difference. So that's my food for thought for you. I'm going to keep expanding on this. I wanted to keep this right around 30 minutes or so. I might just make an episode for each breathing exercise at some point. But I encourage you to start utilizing breath control, diaphragmatic breathing, inspiratory hold, stacked breathing, paired breathing. Use it in your own life. See how you feel when you start adding breath control to your day. It makes a huge difference. So that's all I have for you today. I hope you all have a wonderful rest of your day. And whatever you have to do, get after it.